This is the EWN Podcast Network. Hello, this is Dr. Judy Cook, welcoming you to Shrink Wrapped, where you can shrink away more of your problems and find more rapture in your life. Do you ever find yourself talking to someone and feel as if somehow you're just not talking on the same page and can't seem to get there? Does this sometimes even lead to substantial misunderstandings? Would you like to have some idea of why and how this happens and what you might be able to do to improve that? If so, stay tuned. This is Dr. Judy Cook bringing you Shrink Wrapped, a place to shrink problems like this into something more manageable and wrap them up in a way that adds more rapture to your life. When John Gray wrote his famous book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, he had been counseling people about relationships for many years, then went through his own divorce and started examining things from a whole different viewpoint. John found himself having to look at the fact that women aren't like men and that he needed to understand that in order to make a relationship work as well as to do a better job of counseling people. It wasn't that women were all messed up. Men and women look at things differently and have different wants and needs. Ironically, his former wife, Barbara DeAngelis, is also a famous writer and speaker on relationships and has had multiple marriages and took her experiences and shared them to help others learn these lessons. One of the amazing things in life is the way that so often people with such similar issues find each other in the crowd of humanity. The difference in people understanding each other's language, however, goes beyond just what happens in relationships with married couples. It can have a major impact on people in any kind of relationship. Friends, co-workers, family members, classmates, or any other relationship you can imagine, whether close or casual. Two people can be talking and using the same exact word and each mean something totally different, especially if it's an emotion-laden word like love or some word one of you perceives as judgmental. In many ways, things can be easier for people to develop good communication with someone if they came from different countries and speak different languages. At least in that instance, they know they don't understand those sounds and all the innuendos that go with them and will need to do a lot of talking and exploring with their adult minds to develop good understanding. As a doctor, I have watched how giving the same dose of the same psychiatric medication to 20 different people can give 20 different responses, with some differences very minor and some of them very major. Similarly, as a psychiatrist, I've noticed how 20 different people can have 20 different interpretations of the same word, especially if the word relates to feelings. Fortunately, most responses, whether to a medication or to a word, will fall within a reasonable ballpark of responses. But there will always be some that get away out of range and have you asking yourself something like, what planet are they from? Once you're aware that this is normal variation, that it is a predictable, understandable, fixable part of life, you can learn to better see the problem and then start creating solutions, either on your own or preferably in collaboration with that other person. The first step in fixing this problem is the recognition that these differences occur, but they are not an issue of I'm right and everyone else is wrong. It is because you are each different people growing up with a whole lifetime of environmental and experiential differences. 
It is not something that other person does just to be mean or hard to get along with. All of us grow up in environments that shape how we think, what we believe, and how we communicate. And that begins at our birth, when we are like little video cameras recording everything we see and hear, which allows us to start relating to those giant parents taking care of us and learn from them how to survive. Although we may not consciously remember any of this, it shapes our early behaviors and often our later ones. Thus, we reflect the home and society we grow up in. We do not make some perverse decision to use words to make life confusing for others. A TV station has its programming and bases its language on the point it is trying to get across, not specifically to please or aggravate you. And you hear that information the way you do because that is how you learned to interpret certain information. With other humans speaking the same language, it never occurs to us that translation or interpretation is needed to be flying on the same wavelength. Just like some foreign languages are easier than others, some people's language is easier to understand than others, even though we both speak English. It helps to look at a few variables that create our language, not just the actual set of letters on a piece of paper or the multiple definitions Webster's Dictionary may have of them, but also the impact of how it is said with all the vocal variation and body language variation, the subtle meanings that may be a bit different in your particular social milieu, and finally, the emotionally charged material that may be attached to some words for us which can be hard for us to even get in touch with, much less talk about. Why can it be hard to get in touch with? Because you started recording this stuff into your brain at birth, just automatically putting those tracks down and never having an opportunity or reason to explore them. And they can be as hard to reach into as the background operating system is on your computer, especially when you're focused on some specific program. It may take some kind of programmer, like a therapist, to help you undo that program and start modifying that system toward the results you would like to have. This time, however, you are a participant in the process, helping you create what you think you want to be. So what are the elements that create communication? First is the sound that you make with your mouth. That's the starting point. And the confusion can start right there. Let's take the word bow. Is that bow like in take a bow? Or bow like the bow of a boat? A part of bow wow, the dog sound? Or bow like branch of a tree, which is spelled differently but pronounced the same? Of course, to confuse things even further, those same three letters, B-O-W, can indicate a bow in your hair, or a bow for a musical instrument, like a violin. How about the sound to, which can be a connecting adverb, as in going to the store. It can mean also, or it can be the number two. You can see pretty quickly how that can be a problem, especially if all we hear is the sound. Fortunately, those words are usually used in a context that helps us sort it out, whether spoken or written. Second, language is not just the sounds you hear. 
voice tone and inflection, facial expression and body language, the setting the conversation takes place in, and even the gender of the person talking can all affect the ultimate meaning or interpretation of what is being said. Third are the really big variables thrown in at a more personal level. Where your family of origin came from, what the words meant in the family context, the region you grew up in, any personal emotional ties to a given sound. All of these can have an impact on you and how you perceive a communication and forms another layer of interpretation over the speaker and their intended meaning. It's kind of like if you grew up dancing a polka and the other person grew up dancing a Texas two-step, it may take some time to coordinate your dance activities. The fourth and biggest of these impacts comes around words that tie directly to emotions. Words tied to feelings like love, hate, fear, caring, anxiety. These are also tied to the family we grew up in and how things were handled there, whether or not they were discussed or defined, and what your own emotional experiences have been in other areas of these life that help what define what these words seem to mean. Because of all these variables, the definition of any given word can be different for almost everyone and requires a lot of clarification, not only with the other person, but sometimes even in your own head. Let's take a little time and look at each of these areas in a bit more detail and then give a few skills to cope with all of this. The first and most important lesson here is recognizing that the same word, spelled the same way, sounding the same, may not mean the same thing to that other person that it means to you. Recognizing that fact goes a long way in improving communication and understanding. That can help you step back from taking things personally, look more closely at what that word means to you, and spend some time exploring with the other person what it means to them. Once you clarify it, you may have to do it several more times to get it clear because it is much more difficult to relearn or add on new definitions than to learn in the first place. Relearning or learning the multiple variations can take some time. Fortunately, that is usually easier than the task of a man in a YouTube video who relearned how to ride a bicycle after it was re-engineered so the handlebars turned the wheel the opposite way of what had been normal. Look up the backwards bicycle brain on YouTube if that will help you understand the difficulty of relearning. With that thought, let's take a quick break and when we come back we will discuss the other three ways communication goes awry and the skills you can develop to help change that to make your life happier. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com.
Welcome back to Shrink Wrapped. We just finished discussing how the same word can mean different things to different people. The second issue is dealing with voice tone and body language. Lest you think this is only an issue with complicated words or emotional words, have you ever noticed how often at least some people don't seem to understand what the word no means? Are you aware that some people when they say no aren't really as definite and clear about it as others? Part of the communication is the person saying no and whether they say it firmly and clearly and are looking you straight in the face and perhaps even a bit stern or if they kind of wiggle and look around and look down and say it softly as if they don't really mean it. This is the kind of place where voice, tone, and body language play a big role in what you're saying. If you're looking unsure or looking away, or if you're shaking your head yes while you're saying no, it gives a mixed message. Similarly, the person receiving the no can, can choose to accept it, even if it is very shy and quiet in the way it's spoken, or can want to argue with you even if it's clear and concise. That has to do with them, not you. Thus, how you say no is a part of you and your whole makeup, including things like whether you feel entitled to set boundaries, and the way the other person perceives and reacts to it is a part of their makeup including whether they have respect for others or not. Clarification comes when you both talk about how you meant things, how you feel, and so on. Making assumptions about each other's communication only stirs up the responsibility and the possibility of further misunderstandings. Third, we want to look at variables related to where you lived and grew up, the region of the country or the world, your social milieu, especially your family and friends and religious beliefs, as well as some of your emotional ties to these words. I grew up in Minnesota, where saying, yeah, was the proper way of giving a yes answer. When I moved to Texas and answered a question with, yeah, the teacher was furious and immediately chastised me in front of the class, saying that, yeah, was a very rude word and was unacceptable in her classroom and I needed to say yes ma'am and ma'am was a foreign word to me just like ya was to her. Similarly in Texas it's a normal phrase to say someone fell out on an elevator which leads to some interesting attempts to visualizing how one could fall out of a closed elevator like you would fall out of an open window. Where I came from, the expression was that they fell down, or maybe even passed out, meaning they became unconscious while on the elevator. Once you catch on to the lingo, or language, in the new territory, you can do that mental adjustment to make the shift. But some things are not just that clear and simple. The confusion is helped by doing what the teacher did, by explaining what she was hearing and what that meant to her, which had not been at all what I intended, and giving what was equally polite and respectful response and comparing the two. These kinds of confusions are no doubt at least a partial stimulus for the term damn Yankee being used so much in the South and not just referring to being beaten by the Yankees baseball team.
The fourth variable is probably the most difficult to understand and clarify because it's related to the whole area of our emotions, an area we often have very little permission to talk about and often are not very in touch with, but, can, but that can have a major impact on what words mean to us and how we communicate that. Words like love, hate, anxious, scared, terrified, <clears throat> happy, sad, frustrated are words that really mean different things to different people. If you start looking up these words in a dictionary or on the internet, you will find that hate, for example, is an intense feeling of dislike. In reality, people might mean anything from a simple kind of dislike, sort of, I hate that dress and how it looks on me, or something really intense like, I hate country X and want to drop a bunch of bombs on them. The term love, the term love has the dictionary definition of an intense feeling of deep affection. But in practice, it has an even wider range of meanings from seriously liking things or people to caring about them because they play some role in your life or generic loving of them because they're a human being all the way to romantic love and or lust. Very often people don't really think about what they are saying or how they are defining the word, so it may take a while to figure out what they are really meaning. Even tougher is that people don't realize that when interacting with other people, especially loved ones, they often don't know what they want from the other person, or don't feel they have permission to ask, or are trapped in an old pattern of beliefs that they cannot escape without help. Often you or someone you know may complain about not feeling loved, and yet when you ask them what specific behaviors would help them feel loved, or what feels like loving to them, they don't know and can't explain. The same words and behaviors that may feel very loving for one person may be very repulsive for another. Women often want affectionate holding, caressing, kissing, being told they're beautiful or that you appreciate the wonderful meal they cooked. They may really want the two of you to talk and be best friends, able to open up about anything. Or they might want you to leave them alone and give them peace and quiet. They might feel loved by having sex and their beautiful body commented on, or they might want you to just hold them and not really touch them. Men quite often equate sex with affection and feeling loved, rather than the less intense contact women often appreciate. But most of the time, neither male or female really sit down to think about what they want in a mate, a companion, or a partner, much less discuss it with them. We often spend a lot more time thinking about what we want in a car or a house than what we want in a companion. That only adds to the communication difficulties. I have a patient I have worked with who really illustrates many of the points I have discussed in some very dramatic ways and shows just how tied all of this is to those things that are seen, felt, and heard in our growing up years and yet often not processed or thought about. It shows how it affects many ways of interacting, not just the language aspects, and also that communication about misunderstandings really helps. She was raised in a home with horrible abuse, emotional, 
physical and sexual abuse beginning as a child and was even passed around to others. She learned to let herself be abused because that seemed how life just was. This usual and customary sense among people who have been abused often leads them to continue it in new relationships and pass it on to others without realizing there's anything wrong with it. She was and is a very intelligent woman who initially came to me because she was drinking herself to death. She is open, intelligent, and insightful enough that she wanted to explore what was under that, but it was quite a while before she felt comfortable talking about all that abuse so she could start healing that pain. As we went further, she talked about being on her second marriage, stating that her husband just seemed so much better than she deserved because he was really good to her. So she divorced him and found a man who was at least verbally and physically abusive to her. And she loved him dearly, although she was also drinking severely. He finally beat her up so severely that he was legally mandated into an anger management program. And much to his credit, he went faithfully and really learned how to change his behavior. Three years after this had happened, she got around to realizing and talking about how much she hated him, although she really used to love him, and how repulsive he was to her sexually, although that used to be a major point in their life. What had happened? Well, in the family she grew up in, love was equated with abuse of all kinds, and that was the framework she grew up with. Therefore, when he quit abusing her, she felt it meant he no longer loved her. So she began to hate him and push him away as an emotional self-defense. When I explained that he had to love her very much to make those changes and to hold onto them in the face of her hatred and rejection, and I suggested she sit down and ask him if that was how he saw things, her whole world changed. He confirmed that he had done all the changes because of how much he loved her, even though she made it hard, and he didn't want to lose her. It hasn't been easy, and they needed to have frequent discussions to continue clarifying things, and she sometimes regresses and needs to talk to me some more, sometimes about him, sometimes about how that impact was passed on to their children, and is a large part of their current behavioral issues and that issue with her children is really painful for her as well. The point of this story is to help you see how things we are often unaware of can be truly detrimental to us. By looking at them and learning to question and understand them and often discuss them with that other person, you can bring about massive positive changes in your life. Fortunately, for most people, the issues are much less severe than for this lady. But if you don't learn to communicate and work through these misunderstandings and interpretations, it can really impair relationships. And this is true not only with spouses, parents, kids, and other family members, but even co-workers, bosses, friends, and even casual acquaintances. So what is the solution to this problem in a nutshell? What can you do that is simple but can help you avoid or solve these types of problems? The critical steps for any of these issues are basically the same. First, identify 
that you're having some kind of discomfort or misunderstanding about what is being said or what is happening. You first have to identify it within yourself as an issue. It does not mean identifying anyone as being at fault, simply identifying an issue. Second, you can then work to clarify things with the other person and do it in a kind, supportive fashion, starting with the assumption that the other person means well and that the two of you just understand things differently. Beginning with something like, when you said X, I felt Z, and I want to check it out and make sure I'm understanding you correctly. Or something like, that sounds like you are mad at me, are you? Third, you can then dialogue as you need to, to gain further understanding and come to an accord. Sometimes you will have heard things as a negative when a positive was intended. Be sure to not only let that positive in, but thank the other person and keep replaying those positives to yourself because most of us don't get enough of that in our lives. Sometimes it really is intended as a negative and then your job is to explore and get more information about why this is happening. In the case of work, is it something you aren't doing right or something you just need to explain so the other person understands it? If it is a friend or a loved one, explore it further to see what can be done to clarify the misunderstanding so that you minimize those kinds of events in the future and agree with each other to make a point of talking through misunderstandings. Sometimes it will wind up in ending a relationship, but most of the time it will wind up improving things. Fourth, recognize that these kinds of misunderstandings are as normal as if you were meeting someone from another country or culture who might speak English but have a very different spin on the same word and that each of you then needs to learn from each other what the meanings are so that you begin to minimize the misunderstandings over time. Finally, always start with a good faith assumption and address the other person in a kind fashion, expecting the best rather than expecting a war because you are so much more likely to have a positive result for both of you that way, a true win-win solution. I hope this has helped you better understand where some of those communication disconnects come from, why they happen, and what you can do about them. Feel free to contact me through my website to share thoughts and also to find other helpful information. That is at www.godrjudy.com. That's G-O-D-R-J-U-D-Y dot com. Until next week, when we'll start talking about learning to appreciate our differences, this is Dr. Judy Cook signing off from Shrinkwrapped and hoping you will gift yourself with a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.